So my name's Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here, and it is so good to see all of you here this morning. Um, we're going to continue our study in the book of 1 Timothy, and so I'd invite you to br- grab your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and let me read the, uh, the first uh, 13 verses of 1 Timothy 3. I encourage you to bring your Bibles, but if you uh, are without a Bible today, you're welcome to follow along on the screen. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, Free from the love of money, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Last week and this week and next week, we're in the middle of a little series in our study of 1 Timothy together looking at leadership in the church. And so each week during this series, I've been asking our elders, one of our elders, to come up. And this week, I'm excited to introduce Jared Roach to you. Jared, what's up? Morning. How's it going? So Jared, how long have you been serving as an elder? So I've been serving as an elder since January of 2020. January of 2020. That was such a good year. (laughs) Very, very interesting year. So... What have you learned about yourself and about God as you've served as, a, as an elder? Yeah, I think as serving, since serving as an elder, um, I've learned that uh, God really wants us all to be in a position to serve one another with love, um, and that loving one another, the best way we can love one another is to serve each other, um, and so that's a big part of what I've learned as a leader here in the church. Um, And also what I've learned about myself is that uh, I need grace and patience because I I am an idea guy and I'm on the move and sometimes I have to have a little patience and wait for God's plan to come through, not my plan to come through. Yeah. Aren't you glad there's truckloads of grace? (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what's been amazing you about Jesus lately? 
Um, I think what's been amazing me about Jesus lately is really just how he gave us such a great model to serve with the disciples. And so uh, we were just reading in Mark this week, and I was reading um, about sowing seeds in good soil and how uh, God really used, Jesus really used parables to really teach those who truly believed uh, about the kingdom. And there's going to be all kinds of struggles and distractions in this life, uh, but that when we plant our seeds in good soil, when we're in community with fellow believers, when we're loving and caring for one another, in this community, and we are the church, that we can really grow and prosper for God's glory. Amen. Yeah, so um, one of the things that Jared mentioned is, is he's an idea guy, and I really appreciate Jared giving his leadership to several key areas of the church. One of them is Jared's been giving some leadership to our welcoming and our hospitality, and so Jared, tell us a little bit about your ideas around welcoming people and how we can get involved. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as a church, it's really important that we create community and that we also create a good experience to connect people, both new people coming in the door. If you've been here a bunch of times but haven't really found kind of your group or your your spiritual gift here of where you can get plugged in. We want to make sure as a church that we're providing that because we want to all grow together and make disciples together. And so each one of us has unique spiritual gifts. God tells us that we need all the parts of the body to function. And so we all have gifts that make it possible to do that. And so uh, we want to make sure as people are showing up on Sundays that they feel welcome and encouraged and that good news is the place where People come and feel loved and in community, and uh, and we've heard that through people's testimonies of coming to church here and, and the community that we really build, and we really it's by the amazing amazing body of believers we have here that, that people say that already. And so what we want to make sure to do is that we're connecting those people and that we're getting to know new people coming in, we're connecting with them. So really, we need help with whether it's uh, the welcome team saying hello at the door. We'd love to get back now that we're getting a more full parking lot, getting, getting some help with, uh, with parking again and people being out there smiling, cheering people on, pulling in, as well as uh, a guest services team that whether you're new, visiting, uh, or, or have been coming for a long time, we want to make sure that if you have questions about events coming up, uh, if you are looking for ways to get connected or you need some help that uh, we have, the people in place to be able to get you that information. And so um, if you're interested in helping in any of these ways, you know, first and foremost, you know, we, we're not looking for, uh, you know, a, a signing, uh, signing ceremony and commitment that you're here to serve every Sunday. If you can help just one Sunday, if you can come in the morning of and you're like, hey, you know what, I could help for a little bit before service. Like, is there somewhere I could get plugged in? Uh, feel free to come up to me, Parker, uh, any of the elders. Alex is helping with the usher team. Uh, we would just love to try to get you plugged in and connected and get to know more people here. And that's where you're really going to ha- kind of find what 
your gifts are and where you feel called to serve. And so, um, so feel free to reach out if you're interested and uh, know you want to serve. But even if you're here and want to just check some things out. One Sunday you decide why wild hair, you know what, I'm ready. Let's do this. Just come up and we'd be ready to help. Amen. Hey, will you pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. Holy Father, we just uh, thank you for your love and grace, Lord, for giving us the church, uh, for, for letting us be followers of you. And uh, we just are asking that you would just, your will would be done for Good News Church, Lord, and that you would be on the hearts of each and every one of us to see how we could better serve and serve for your glory, Lord. And we just ask that you would uh, watch over us and help us to uh, forgive those who sin against us as you have given us the glorious and grace to forgive our sins. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jared. Jesus has been uh, just amazing me this week. As we've been reading through the book of Mark and just encourage you to jump in with us as we read through the Gospels. And right now we're in the Gospel of Mark and Jesus blew me away this week. In Mark chapter 1, three times it mentions that Jesus went into lonely wilderness places. The Greek word is eremos. It's a lonely place, a desert place, a solitary place. He goes into the wilderness. The story I read earlier in the service, he goes into the wilderness. And there he's tempted by the devil. That's the first time in Mark chapter 1 that that word is used. Eremos. And then in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus got up early before the light had even come up. And he went to a solitary place. And there he was praying to his heavenly father. Eremos. And then because of his teaching and his miracle work, so many people want to be with Jesus that Jesus is forced to go out into desert places, lonely places, Eremos, and there meet with the crowds of people who want to receive his teaching and instruction and see his miraculous signs that prove that he is who he said he is. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He's God himself. God the Son, stepping into our world. He's the king, but he's a king like, unlike any other king. Because most kings love to sit on thrones and be surrounded by attendants. But Jesus was a king who loved to go into solitary places. Jesus was a king who went into the wilderness we're surrounded by examples of people who want to build a platform. Jesus wanted to build men, and women, disciples, followers of him. We're surrounded by people who love to be served. Jesus came as a servant. Jesus blows us away when it comes to being a completely different model for leadership. And that's what we're going to learn this morning. That Jesus is our model for servant leadership. Jesus is our model for servant leadership in the home, 
and in the marketplace and in the church. That Jesus is our model for servant leadership. So let's unpack that teaching from Scripture. That Jesus is our model. What does it mean that Jesus is our model? And what does it mean that Jesus models servant leadership? So Jesus is our model. When I read through 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13, it's important that you know that Jesus is the only leader who ever fulfilled all that's described in those verses. See, when we say Jesus is our model, what we mean is that only Jesus got leadership right. Only Jesus got obedience right. Only Jesus got worship right. Only Jesus got love right. Only Jesus served the way God designed man to serve. Jesus is is man as man was meant to be. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And as a perfect man, Jesus fulfills for us everything that God requires of us as men and women. 1 Timothy 3 describes leaders in the church, but no leader in the church ever gets 1 Timothy 3 perfect, except for Jesus. And in fact, as I read through 1 Timothy 3, year after year, what I find to be true in my own heart is that I see more and more how I fall short of 1 Timothy 3. See, when I was young in my Christian life, I thought when I read 1 Timothy 3 that I was qualified. Oh, God in His grace. He's shown me so many ways that, that I'm far more sinful than I ever imagined. Because of Jesus... I'm far more loved than I ever dared believe. Only Jesus gets 1 Timothy 3 right. Jesus is our model. If you go to Luke chapter 2, you'll see in Luke chapter 2 a description of Jesus growing in perfection as man as he was meant to be. Verse 40 As a child, Jesus continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Or Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus, fully man, grew in strength. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God and he grew in favor with people. Jesus was man as God designed man to be. I love the way Eugene Peterson describes the Christian life and the message. Listen to this. This is what it means to have Jesus as our model. Galatians 2, 19 through 21. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man, 
Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important to me that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living, it's not mine, but it's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. So when we say that Jesus is our model for servant leadership, Jesus is our model in that he shows us how life is to be lived. And he gives us the power to do it. Don't miss that. See, the power for living life as a servant leader in the home or the marketplace or in the church, the the power for living as a servant leader is in the gospel. It's not in ourselves. We need Jesus to show us what servant leader looks like, but we also need Jesus to give us the power to live as servant leaders should. There's only power in Jesus. There's only power in the gospel. So Jesus is our model. Jesus is our model as a servant leader. Now let me give you four things from this passage and from the book of 1 Timothy that servant leaders do. That servant leaders do. The first thing servant leaders do is they feed the church. That's why it says in verse 2, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Because leaders, servant leaders in the church, feed the church through teaching people the gospel. Teaching people the gospel, the resource, the only resource available to us to make us more and more like Jesus. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, we're told, I solemnly charge you, this is important, in the presence of God, it's very important, and of Christ Jesus, this is very, very important who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, here's the charge, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Preach the word, feed the flock, be apt to teach, serve the church by feeding the church, Gospel food. Feed the church. Feed the people of God. Secondly, servant leaders feed the church. They lead the church. 
They lead the church. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 5, we're told that a, a servant leader, an elder or overseer, a servant leader must be able to manage his own household. Why? Because if they can't lead in the home, how will they lead in the church? Verse 5, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So an elder, a servant leader, an overseer of the church should lead well in the home. And as they lead well in the home, they demonstrate their ability to lead well in the church because someone has to lead. We saw last week that everything rises and falls with leadership. We saw how important leadership is to a healthy church. We saw the identity of leaders in the church, that God has given two offices of leadership in the church, elders or overseers and deacons. This week, we're seeing that those leaders are to lead the church by serving the church. Not being proud rulers of the church, but being humble servants of the church. They're willing, according to 1 Timothy 3, they're willing to let people see the inside of their life. See, how would you ever evaluate if someone was able to lead the church if they didn't open up their life, their home, to people to be able to see inside? See, they're not proud doers who show up at the church to be one way at church but a different way in the home. No, the people are investigated. They're checked out. Their life is seen on the inside. If you come to my home, it won't take you very long to realize that I married well. I married really well. Listen, there's only one thing, there's only one thing that I did better than Sue Ellen. I chose a good spouse. It's the only thing that she's, she's not as good at me at. I chose a better spouse than she did. Come into my home and you'll find that I am a deeply flawed person. Come into my home, you'll see that I have Many, 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 many flaws. But come into my home and you'll find out that, that I have a great, great Savior. His name is Jesus. You see, leaders lead well because they're humble leaders. They're willing to let people on the inside of their life and they see that their life isn't perfect, but it's held together by Jesus. So leaders... Feed the church by giving the church the gospel. They lead the church with humility, letting people on the inside so that they can see their life, that it's held together by Jesus, and they protect. They protect the church. They protect the church against false teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says to Timothy, I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Paul wants Timothy to, to protect the church, to protect the church against 
the one thing that can actually harm the church. See, what can actually harm the church isn't persecution. What can actually harm the church is false teaching that comes in and begins to work on the inside of the church to undermine the foundation of the church. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the teaching of the gospel, the teaching of sound doctrine. False teaching is the one thing that can undermine the church. We think that what can undermine the church is the loss of our religious freedom or persecution that comes against us from the outside. But the example of the church around the world tells us that it's just the opposite. I was recently in India. And in India, there is growing persecution of the church by the civil government in India and by extreme Hindu groups who come against the church, beating up pastors, burning churches, making it difficult for people to share the gospel. But that's not what actually harms the church. What actually keeps the church in India from growing is when the church believes false teaching. And so when we were there and we taught them biblical theology and we gave the pastors truth, they were built up and they weren't concerned about the persecution. They were glad to know that Jesus saves and that Jesus is the one hero in the one story of the Bible. Because what builds the church up is a live doctrine, true truth that captures hearts and gives people a passion for making Jesus known. So we protect the church. Servant leaders protect the church by teaching true truth, sound doctrine, that which aligns with the gospel. One of my favorite examples of this is in the book of Galatians. There's a gospel throwdown between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. It says in Chapter 2, verse 11 of Galatians. When Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is Peter, the apostle. And Paul says this, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to, coming of, prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth, the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles, not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul says, if you expect people to meet a standard of legalistic righteousness in order to have fellowship with them, you make a mockery of the truth of the gospel, and you, Peter, are outside orthodoxy, and I oppose your teaching and practice to your face. Gospel throwdown. Now, P Peter repents, and he comes back to the gospel. And Paul and Peter continue to enjoy fellowship with one another. That's the goal 
of protecting the church. We protect the church so that people who are teaching false doctrines, they wouldn't be annihilated, they would be drawn back to the truth of Jesus, the beauty of the gospel. That's why we fight for the truth. And that's what we hope, is that people would fall in love with Jesus. And they would be amazed by him. Do we feed the church? Servant leaders lead the church. Servant leaders protect the church. Servant leaders care for the church. When you hear the description of a servant leader, an overseer should be temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, not pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable. That's a description of of a person whose heart is being transformed by the gospel so that they're becoming more and more caring. They're becoming more and more gentle. They're becoming more and more of a shepherd who can come alongside people who are hurting and, and weep with those who weep. And they can come alongside people who are rejoicing and they can rejoice with those who rejoice. Servant leaders, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, Servant leaders are able to care for the church. See, Jesus is the great shepherd. And by God's grace, through the power of Jesus, he is working in the lives of servant leaders who feed and lead and protect and care for the church. So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do each of us begin to to follow Jesus' model of servant leadership in the home and in the marketplace and in the church? How do we get there to become the kinds of servant leaders who are able to, to feed and lead and protect and care? Well, here's the action step for this week. See, we have to descend to greatness. See, when the gospel moves in, the gospel invites us to descend to greatness. See, the world's model for leadership is that you ascend to greatness. But Jesus' model for greatness is that you descend to greatness. The world's model of leadership is build a platform, gain followers. Jesus' model of leadership is descend to to greatness. Descend to greatness. Serve one another in love. Now how do you get there? Mark 10, verse 45, says this. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's Jesus' model of servant leadership, descending to greatness. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then let me show you a few things in Mark 10, 45 that are critical for you. If you're not a Christian, first of all, let's look at who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of Man. When Jesus uses that title for himself, 
what he's asserting is that I am the exalted, glorious one true God who has put on humanity and stepped into this world. I am the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel 7, the Son of Man who ascends to the Ancient of Days. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Jesus Christ is worth following with everything that you have because Jesus Christ is the exalted Son of Man. He is without equal. He's, he's glorious. He's amazing. If you're not a Christian, I would just invite you to read through the Gospels and see what Jesus is like and see if you don't find your heart drawn to him. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, there's one other thing that this passage says, and that is that this Son of Man, the exalted one, the glorious one, descended to greatness, put on our humanity so that he could give himself a ransom for all. I've been watching people in our community, and one of the things I've observed about people in our community is that people in our community love their kids. You love your kids. But you know what? God had kids. God was the perfect parent, and he loved his kids. But do you know what every single one of God's kids has done? Every single one of God's kids turned their backs on him, rejected his rule and authority, and said, we do not want you to be our dad. You know what God did in response? God, in response to our rebellion against him, sent his one and only son into the world to ransom rebels rebellious children who had rejected his rule and authority, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the son of man, into the world, and Jesus Christ was willing to give himself as a ransom to pay the debt that we owed to God. You see, all of our disobedience, all of our rebellion, God couldn't wink at our sin there was a debt that we had accrued against a holy God, and the penalty for our sin, our crimes against God, the penalty for our sin is death. But Jesus Christ became our ransom. On the cross, God took all of our sin and put it on his son, Jesus, and punished him in our place as our substitute. On the cross, Jesus shed his blood in death to ransom us, to pay the penalty for our sin and to secure for all who would put their trust in him eternal life. Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. See, we receive the gift of eternal life through faith. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. There was a moment in my life where I realized that, that I had sinned against a holy God and I was in trouble. 
that ever happened for you? There was a time in my life where I believed that Jesus had become my ransom. He had died in my place as my substitute on the cross and rose from the dead. You ever believed that? There was a time in my life where I took the step of commitment and I said yes to following Jesus as Savior and Lord. Have you? If you haven't, won't you? Won't you turn from your sin and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord today? See, the descent into greatness begins with that first step of faith. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I urge you, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God through faith in His Son, our ransom. If you are a Christian... If you are a Christian, then I invite you to descend to greatness. And I want to just tell you that there are several things that you're going to see as you descend to greatness. I see them in my life, and you're going to see them in your life too. Here's the first thing you're going to see. As you try to descend to greatness, Matthew 10, Mark 10, uh, 45 Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As you try to descend to greatness, the first thing that you're going to discover about your heart is self-importance. See, the first obstacle to descending to greatness is that we have proud hearts. We're full of self-importance. We're full of pride that says that I love to be be served. I don't love to serve so much. And the only thing that be, can be done about that sin-sick heart of self-importance, when you see it in your heart, the only thing to do with self-importance is to bring it to the cross and let it be crucified there with Jesus to break the power of self-importance. The first step of entering into the descent to greatness is going to feel like death. Something has to die. Your ego, your self-importance has to die. And only coming to the cross of Christ and seeing that on the cross you died with Christ and at the empty tomb you were raised with Christ. That's the power that breaks self-importance. You can't get through self-importance by trying harder. You can break self-importance by going to the cross and letting yourself be co-crucified with Christ. Die to yourself. Die to your self-importance and come alive to life with Him. So the first thing you're going to discover in your descent to greatness is self-importance. The second thing you'll see is self-promotion. Self-promotion. The gospel of Jesus offers us a righteousness, a perfect record. You see, the reason why we're so busy promoting ourselves through Instagram and TikTok and Facebook The reason why we're so busy filtering our lives through social media and self-promotion 
is because we're afraid that no one notices how awesome we are. And the gospel says, cheer up. You're far worse than you think you are. But the gospel says you are far more loved than you could ever imagine. The gospel says you can die to self-promotion because you have received a righteousness that God is pleased with you because he's pleased with his son, your savior, Jesus Christ. You don't have to be an influencer because you have the righteousness of Christ. You don't have to be concerned with the metrics of your social media platform and how many likes or dislikes you have because you're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. The gospel is what enables us to descend to greatness through dying to self, dying to, to self-importance, and then dying to self-promotion, and then finally, the gospel enables us to descend to greatness by overcoming self-reliance. Because the gospel says that you don't have to rely on yourself to descend to greatness. You can rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus says, my life can show you how and my life can give you the power to do it. See, religion promises you life, but doesn't give you any power. The gospel guarantees you life and gives you the power to pursue life in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of self-reliance. So listen, don't try to descend to greatness in your own strength. Descend to greatness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the gospel. It's the gospel that secures your freedom from self-importance. And it's the gospel that gives you righteousness to overcome self-promotion. And it's the gospel that gives you the Holy Spirit to enable you to step through self-reliance into a life of spirit dependence. Oh, what could happen if we did? Imagine what could happen this week. Imagine what could happen in our lives this week is if we memorized Mark 10, 45 this week. And we said, Jesus, I want to step through self-importance. I want to step through self-promotion. I want to step through self-reliance. And I want to learn from you what it means that you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for me. Jesus, I want you to show me and enable me to have the power to do it. Imagine what could happen in our lives this week if every single one of us stepped out of our homes every morning this week, having been so well served by Jesus, being so confident in our identity as his followers, having been so well served by Jesus, having our hearts on fire with the gospel that Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for us. If that was so real to us when we stepped out of our homes, that we could step into our schools 
and step into our businesses and step into our neighborhoods and step into the church, not to be served, but to serve. Imagine what could happen this week. Imagine what could happen in our church if we all started coming back every week and that week after week we showed up because we knew how needed we were in the local church. And what if when we came, we came early because we wanted to make sure that, that guests were welcomed well? What if this week we descended to greatness and when we show up at church next week, we came early and we said, Jared, give me a job. Give me a task. I want to descend to greatness. I want to welcome new people. I want to help with ushering. I want to pray. I want to serve. I want to help. What if we showed up early and we said, Lisa, do you have any places to serve? I'm begging you. Give me a place to serve. What if that happened? It could happen. We descended to greatness in the power of the gospel. What could happen? in our church, if we outdid one another in hum, hum, humility and love? What if we made it our ambition to outdo each other in love? Imagine what could happen in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses, and in our church as, as we descend to greatness as the gospel takes control of our hearts and Jesus says, quit being so self-important. Quit trying to self-promote. Quit all this self-reliance. I'm your model for servant leadership. Let my life show you how. Let my life in you enable you to do it. Let's pray. Jesus, Thank you for your ransom. Thank you for giving your life a ransom for many. And Jesus, I pray that, that as we close this service this morning, that you would be at work in hearts. And Lord, if you're drawing anyone to yourself right now, that Lord, you would, you would make it easy for them to just simply say to you, Jesus, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that, that you became my ransom. That you died on the cross as my substitute and rose from the dead. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Jesus, I want to go your way. I want to follow you. Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, every single one of us have a step to take in descending to greatness. And Lord, the first step is, is just simply to see that we're actually pretty proud people. Boy, that's a big step. So Jesus, if, if you show us our need of you, would you help us to run back to you again and again this week? Lord, as we descend to greatness this week, would you give us power by your Holy Spirit to do it? 
oh, set us free. Set us free from, from our proud, proud hearts. Give us grace to descend to greatness. We pray in your name. Amen.